This is Aitor Rubio and his family having dinner at their home in Copenhagen. Aitor is a father, a photographer, a self-proclaimed world citizen who is originally from Spain, and a communication partnership and outreach associate at UNDP. Welcome to episode one of Humans of UNDP, a podcast where we get to know fellow colleagues and where we explore how we connect and communicate in the digital age. Tonight, Aitor and his family are enjoying a dish he cooked that's nostalgic of his home, lentils and chorizo. It's a typical Spanish winter dish. No matter how busy he is, having dinner with his family is a must. No, I mean, I, 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 like, I like to be busy. <laughs> but that's, but that's, 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 that's me. You know, I like, I'm, I'm an orthodox person and I like to, you know, to try different things, you know. That's, that, that's my motto. At dinner time, Aitor and his wife, Diana, like to play this game. They ask their sons to tell them three things that happened to them on that day, and out of those three, one has to be false. Aitor and Diana then have to guess which one. They play this game as a way to get their kids to talk about their days and to encourage their imaginations. I have two boys, so they're very physical. And I'm the kind of father that I like, you know, to play football, to play basketball, to play uh, in the playground. When I go with them, I'm not one of those who just sit on the bench and leave the kids, you know, to get entertained by themselves. I'm very active and I like to interact with them. In 2016, Aitor and his family were living in Madrid when his wife was offered a new job at UNHCR, the United Nations Refugee Agency. When they moved to Copenhagen, Aitor took on the role of caring for the family and home. That was the first time I was a stay home dad. My kids are eight and five now. When we moved here, they were five and two. So it was my first time as a family moving to a new country, but not the first time for me moving to a new country because this is my fifth time. Before moving to Denmark from Spain, Aitor also lived in France, the United States, and Japan. So it was challenging, but I think it was also like very humbling, you know, like to, to be in that role. You get to realize how difficult is to deal with, you know, like uh, practicalities when it comes to uh, raising your family and making everybody, you know, be at ease, you know, in a new place, in a new country. Copenhagen is a city he never anticipated living in, but it's a place he and his family have come to love. It's like, it's a very green city. It's a city of 750,000 people, which is not big, quite small, but that it has like all the services that any major capital in the world will have. Well, the, 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 the first thing that you that you realize when you live in Copenhagen is the sound of the bicycles. There are bicycles all over the place, all over the city. You know, that's the main mean of transportation for people who live downtown Copenhagen, as we do, my wife and I. We're a family of four and we have five bikes. There are like thousands of people, you know, going with the bike, no matter if it rains or pours. Also, UN City here is located by the ocean, which is something that I've always wanted to live in, you know, in a place near the ocean and come from Madrid where there is no ocean nearby. I mean, you can totally hear, you know, like the wind, you know, coming from the ocean and and, you know, all the, all the echo that it produces. It's a sound that, you know, you become very familiar with, you know, the sound of the, of the wind blowing. Inspired by being in a new city, Aitor also pursued his passion for photography. Besides taking care of the family and everything, I set up a small photo agency here for a year or so. 
But I've always, you know, I've always done photography on the side, you know, when I was in Madrid, when I was in New York, when I was in Japan. It's something that I've always done, you know, since I was 15 or 16 years old. Since I was very little, my image of the holidays of the summers, it was going somewhere with my three brothers, my mom and my dad. And dad, you know, my dad taking pictures all the time of us and, you know, like nature, you know, the ocean, all that. My dad bought a new camera, so he gave me his old one. So I'm, from that moment on, you know, like I got attached to it. What I found is that, you know, like sometimes the world is very different if you look through that little uh, window of the camera, because you get into like a kind of a movie. You know, if you, you close your eye, you, you keep your eye open, one, one of your eyes open and it's like you're sitting. Uh, you have a different view, you have a, a different perspective of things. As a stranger in a new city, his favorite way to get to know a place and its people was through street photography. With time, he discovered that he could get around the cultural and language barriers that he faced and connect with the people he was photographing by just being himself. As a Spaniard, I have a competitive advantage. We use a lot of non-verbal communication when we speak. So we, we tend to use a lot of our hands and so the best tool to communicate is your mannerism and your non-verbal communication is as important as your verbal communication. That's something that I've learned. And something that is the main tool that I've always had, you know, to, to get things or to get help or to open doors is like to have a nice smile and a smile at people and be humble. You know, when, when you go to a new place where you're the, you're the one who knows the least about it. His approach to life comes through his photographs. It's not necessarily about the type of lens or the technique the photo represents, but about communicating the meaning behind the photo. In his archive of over 40,000 photographs from all over the world, there's one photo that stands out. It's blurry and out of focus, but it captured a moment many can relate to. It's a, I mean, it's a close-up of my mom. We're sitting in the living room of my home, and my parents came to visit, and you know, my mom had been going through these chemotherapy sessions, and it was one of those days that, you know, like, that she was feeling a little bit, you know, weak and, you know, not very, very well. And I remember perfectly she was sitting in the living room. She just asked my wife, you know, if she could hold, you know, the, the baby. And, and I remember that, you know, like she sat on the couch, she grabbed my son and she, she looked at him. And then afterward, you know, like she gave him a kiss, you know, on, on his forehead. And I see that, you know, like that my mother's not looking directly at my son, but it's looking to the distance. And and I don't know, I have a feeling of, you know, when I took that picture after, you know, like when my mother passed away, I don't know, I interpret that picture as like a farewell, like saying like, to her grandson, like, you're in good hands. And, you know, I, I'm sorry I cannot be with you, but uh, but I'm, I wish you the best, you know, in your life or something like that. It's, it's one of those photographies that, you know, like I have a hanging in my, in my home. And, and actually, you know, my son, many, many times he has asked me, you know, about it. And it's like, Dad, tell me the story of your mom. When Aitor's kids ask him what he does for a living, it's often hard to find the words. In a way, his job at UNDP is a continuation of what he does as a street photographer. He searches for people who, in a particular light and moment, he sees potential in. I tell them that I work, that I, I try to attract the talent who is going to be dealing 
with the most challenging issues that the, the planet, our civilization is going to be dealing with in the next 20 years. That I'm trying to find those, you know, talent individuals who will deal with these big challenges. So that's, that's what I tell them that I do. It's try, try to find very smart people and very motivated people to work for the planet, for, for the common good. It's Eiter's first year working at the Junior Professional Officer Service Center, and he's taken to it quickly. Yet despite Eiter's experience and charisma, his biggest challenge at work still comes down to communication. Digitally connecting with an audience that he has not met is tricky, especially in a landscape that never stops changing. In my case, I have to be where my target audience is. And I'm not a native digital. I was born, you know, in the analogic world, but my target audience is digital. They're all people who have born, you know, with a set of digital skills. So you, you have to be aware of many, many, many things. So for me, it's been, it's been mind blowing. It's been a, it's been a process that I will never finish, you know, because what is, what is being used today, maybe it's not used anymore in five years, 10 years time. So it keeps you, you know, like in the look for new things, you know. Aitor not only needs to learn the latest digital communications tools, but he also needs to use them more skillfully than his competition. Everybody's out there communicating, so it's not easy, you know, to get your message through. My main challenge is to really be heard and to really, you know, reach this very specific niche of people. That's my biggest challenge. We will hear more from Aitor about how he navigates getting his message across to his target audience later in the season. In the next episode, we'll go to Iraq to meet Marley Tinok, a communications and reporting officer for the Bureau for Policy and Program Support. I learned this rule when I first got here that um, complimenting someone on something, here it actually um, implies that that person should then give you that something. So a bit of an adjustment here when you say, oh, your sunglasses look great on you, and then they hand them over and say, okay, you have them. Um, and they don't like to take no for an answer. They really do. They are really like giving people. So you kind of end up in these situations quite often where you have to very uh, earnestly say, no, I don't, I don't want your sunglasses. They look really good on you, but thank you. So that I think is like a good way of summing up just how warm and giving people are. This episode of Humans of UNDP is produced by Oscar Durand and myself. Original music by Lemon Guo and sound design by myself. Special thanks to Aitor Rubio and his family for sharing their time, story, and sounds with us. To listen and subscribe, go to wherever you find your podcasts, our digitalnow.undp.org. I'm Elise Blenner-Hassett. Stay with us.